Ask Canada Immigration Lawyer Evelyn Aka. Good day. My name is Evelyn Aka, and this is the Ask Canada Immigration Lawyer Evelyn Aka podcast. I'm the founder and managing lawyer of Aka Business Immigration Law, and on this podcast, we are covering all aspects of immigration for professionals and individuals who are looking to move to Canada and the United States for work, for family, or for personal reasons. If you are looking to make that move, you can download our free guide at acalaw.com. Good day, everyone. I'm so excited today because I have my friend and colleague, Jim Hacking, here with us today. And Jim is the founder and leader of Hacking Law Immigration Law Firm in the United States. I think they have two or three locations. And um, he is a wonderful knowledge um, person based on U.S. immigration. So I'm hoping that we make this useful and interesting and fun. Welcome, Jim. Thanks, Evelyn. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. I mean, you are one of the leading immigration, U.S. immigration lawyers that I know in the States. And I thought it'd be great to have you on our Canadian podcast to really talk about some of the cross-border immigration, as well as U.S. challenges for people from other countries. So first and foremost, why did you become an immigration lawyer? So um, when I was in law school, uh, I started hanging out with a young lady from Egypt and um, <clears throat> through that, I and eventually started visiting. There was a, a mosque on campus in St. Louis at St. Louis University. I started visiting the mosque and I didn't tell her right away because I wanted to sort of have the freedom to go or not go and tell her or not tell her. So um, mm -hmm. eventually uh, I converted to Islam and I um, became a Muslim and that was in 1998. And we got married about a year later. And then uh, 2001, 9-11 happened. Yes. And I was a, for the first 10 years of my career, or eight years of my career, I was a barge attorney. I was doing maritime work up and down the Mississippi River. And the Muslims at the mosque would always ask me to help them with their immigration case. Mm -hmm. And I would always turn them down. And when I would try to refer them to other people, um, those people those other immigration attorneys would always tell me how busy they were. And I go, Hmm, that's interesting. And, um, the firm that I was at, I had two great mentors. One was 55 years old. One was 45 years old. And I was 35 years old. And <laughs> we had, we had four clients. So two insurance companies, a river, uh, a company that pushed barges up and down the river and then a fleeting yeah. company. And I thought, Hmm, there's four clients here and there's three of us. If something ever happened, I didn't want to be left holding the bag. Not that it, my client, my partners were very trustworthy. I become a partner in the firm. Wow. And, and then um, one day I had what Michael Gerber in the e-myth calls the entrepreneurial seizure. And I said, I need to have my own <laughs> law firm and I want to have my own clients. So I went to my wife, Amani, and I said, I want to have my own law firm. I want to have my own clients. It's something that I've always dreamt of. She said, that's interesting. We've been married for 12 years and you've never mentioned it. <laughs> So nonetheless, um, after about a year of begging, cajoling, prodding, <laughs> imploring and pleading, doing everything mm -hmm. I can to try to get her to agree, she said, well, do you have a binder? I'm like, no, I don't have a binder. Well, you got to do a binder of all your procedures and you got to figure out where your clients are going to come from. And so in late 2007, I told my partners that I was leaving and I went out on my own. And my mm -hmm. thought was that I would do 
all kinds of law for immigrants. Ah. Um, and so at first, Adela will tell you, Adela is my longtime assistant who now helps run the firm. Um, we've been together for 15 years and um, she was getting her master's, her, her uh, bachelor's and then master's in HR. And mm. she would write all of her papers about all the things I was doing wrong when it came to HR and running a business. <laughs> um, and so uh, very quickly, it became evident that the real need wasn't law, any type of law for immigrants, but rather practicing immigration law and helping mm -hmm. people get immigration benefits. And then I, uh, I felt more comfortable in a courtroom than I did on sort of obscure. I hadn't taken immigration law. I hadn't taken um, administrative law. But when I went around to the mosque, everybody told me that they'd been waiting for their citizenship for a really long time. And so I found out about this program started by the Bush administration that was slowing down immigration to the U.S. for people from predominantly Muslim countries. Yes. And I filed a big lawsuit. I, I went around to the mosque and I charged everybody $250 to be in this lawsuit. Right. And so I had 36 plaintiffs and I tried to make it a class action and the judge said no. But within six months, 34 of the 36 had become U.S. citizens after some waiting wow. three, four, five. One lady was waiting nine years. So oh. that got me a lot of um, good uh, in Arabic, we would say so web, a lot of good feeling, a lot of good happiness. Mm. And so people started referring me stuff and then we were just off to the races. So then in 2012, we switched to only immigration. That's incredible. What a great story. I love that. I love that. And I think that, you know, obviously you're married to an immigrant. I'm an immigrant. It's like, you really see the experience, even if it's been decades and decades, and you know, in the in the country, the experience that immigrants have, and that, and obviously through the mosque as well as your larger community, how challenging it can be. So tell me, kind of, where your main client base is. Who are the people? What kind of immigration do you do for most of your of your clientele? So we're mostly family-based immigration. So our bread and butter is somebody married someone from overseas and wants to get them a green card or get them an immigrant visa to come to the United States. That's mm -hmm. that's about 30% of our practice, 50% okay. of our practice. So since that first lawsuit that I filed back in 2008 or nine, or nine I've, sued, yeah. I've sued them 1,600 times. So that's my favorite thing to do. And so <laughs> I sue the US government. <laughs> yep. And so we actually have it all built out and all tricked out. And um the team does a really good job. Now I don't even I'm not really that involved in the lawsuits day to day unless something pops up. Mm -hmm. But a big part of our process, then citizenship, asylum, and then we do probably 15 to 20 H1Bs and probably a, a similar number of employment-based green cards a year. Wow. Okay. So do you do, Jim, and the family stuff is great. Obviously, that's so satisfying more than anything else. But do you do as well, um, like H-1B type of stuff? Yeah, we do about 15, 20 H-1Bs a year. We probably okay. do about five TNs a year. Okay. We do a fair number of employment-based green cards. Okay. Um, a lot of people right now are calling me about national interest waiver or exceptional ability. And I tell them, I'm, I'm, I'm the place where those people go to cry because I'm very pessimistic on those. And you know, um, not everybody's extraordinary, right? No, if everybody's extraordinary, nobody's extraordinary. That's right. <laughs> okay, I got it. So tell me right now, in terms of the politics of the United States, have you seen something that's, have you seen a change? Have you seen anything that is impacting your practice? 
positively or negatively, because, you know, when the Trump era came, that was a whole new world for everybody dealing with cross-border and U.S. immigration. What are you seeing now? So um, it's sort of ironic, Evelyn. Back when um, Obama was president, we called him, of all people, the deporter in chief because he had <laughs> deported and they were catching a lot of people at the border and all those were counting as deportations. But if you and I sat down and said, let's go out to Hollywood and hire some some screenwriters and some directors to create the biggest immigration villain that ever lived. We couldn't mm-hmm. have, we couldn't have designed someone as bad as Donald Trump. And, you know, the thing about yep. Trump is he wasn't the brightest bulb in the bunch, but he brought in the very, very far right guys from this organization called fair. These people, like people that just hated immigrants and they mm-hmm. literally sat around all day thinking about not so much about people who entered without inspection, but more about how to slow down legal immigration to the United States by people from brown countries. My God. And so, and so um, guys like Stephen Miller and Steve Bannon designed yeah. the Muslim ban on the back of a napkin while they were at happy hour the first Friday before Trump took office. I mean, <laughs> these people just said, I mean, literally, we would see a, a month or two months worth of immigration changes happen um in in every day every Every day day. of a week so they just everything was accelerated so they spent four years just pounding on legal immigration they gutted the state department they gutted uscis Mm. they took a ton of uscis's money and spent it on trump's stupid wall and on border border protection and they've (laughs) left an agent they left two agencies that have not summoned the political will or the intestinal fortitude to fix things. They're just happy enough to say, woe is us, give us some more money, COVID, 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 things suck, things are slow. USCIS, so so um, Evelyn, the, the main petition that people use to sponsor a family member is called an I-130 petition. Yeah. When I, when I first started practicing, it took them three or four months to process an I-130 petition. They just updated about a month ago at the National Benefit Center, it's taking 50 months, oh my four God. years and two months to just process whether or not you and I are eligible to marry each other. That's the oh only question, whether it's a real marriage. So so they have not done anything to move things along. It's really, it's really That's bad. Painful. So, So it's not so much that there are evil people in the Department of Homeland Security and USCIS, it's that they're people who don't give a crap. Yeah. Yeah. And probably not as many resources. They don't have the budget. If they slashed and burned, they don't have enough people, yep. perhaps, you know, that's yeah. And, the, and the, the embassies have been really uh, gutted and there aren't people there who can process cases. And you mm-hmm. talk about, especially some of the African countries, you're talking people, even after they go through USAS and get the petition approved, which takes now a year or two, then you're talking another year or two waiting for the embassy to have an interview slot. Wow. And nobody's talking about it. Nobody's doing anything. It's really terrible. Oh, so what in a case like that as the lawyer, what could you do about that? That's not a lawsuit situation, right? Yeah. Well, it so is? yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so that's exactly what we sue over. So if people have been okay. waiting 18 months or 24 months just for okay. USAS to approve the I-130, we file a lawsuit. If they've had their interview at the embassy, you know, the thing you I don't know if you see this up in Canada, but so much of it isn't so much yes or no it's like we don't know what we want to do so they just put it up on the mm-hmm. shelf and that's when we sue them is when they're just sitting on a case because the law in america says you can approve a case you can deny a case you can't ask a judge to review the denial of the case but if they don't take any action then you can sue them over that so that's the mandamus that you do 
That's mandamus. Okay. Yeah. That's fabulous. Wow. So, you know, right now I'm thinking about, you know, we've got the, the Democratic um, Party in. Have you seen any changes or improvements at all? No. That's the thing. That's that's what I'm noticing. Nothing. I mean, not, not, there's not not the active evilness and making things harder, <laughs> but it's just like a lethargy. I mean, to me, in my mind, you know, we're being our country's being run by an 80 year old man. And it seems like a bunch of 80 year olds are running USCIS, not to <laughs> not to be ageist or anything, but it's just. It's just, there's no real sense of urgency. Oh my God. Um, what countries do you think most of your people who find you come from originally? Where is your kind yeah. of regional yeah. focus? So, so North Africa, for sure. Um, yeah. And then uh, all the way over to like Pakistan. So we have predominantly Muslim clients from okay. predominantly Muslim countries. Um, but right now with the YouTube channel that I have and the Facebook group that I have, Mm-hmm. Only 15% of our, our main office is in Missouri and only 15% of our clients are from Missouri. So with lawsuits, we handle people all around the country, all around yep. the world. And then um, we just mean, we, we do have, we do have a fair following in Ghana on the live show. So um, <laughs> and they, they keep, the people are very kind and they keep inviting me to come visit Ghana. So you need to go. <laughs> I want, I want to go. And my son Yusuf really wants to go. My first client ever was from Senegal. So I really want to go. To oh, West Africa. it's beautiful. In that part of Africa. Yeah. That is so great. I mean, so I've been watching you, you've got your LinkedIn lives, you've got your radio show, you've got all these things you're doing. Um, in terms of diversity in your office and language, is it mostly Spanish speakers or do you have other languages to help with your clientele sometimes, or yeah, do they so- all have to speak English? Well, most of our clients do speak English yeah. or they have they have a family member, usually eldest child of the family who can speak mm-hmm. English. But that hasn't really been an issue for us for a while. I mean, right now, most of our phones are answered in Argentina. So we have a ton of Spanish speakers. My wife right. speaks Arabic. Yeah. Um, St. Louis, Evelyn, I don't know if you know that St. Louis is a refugee resettlement city. So we actually have the world's largest population of Bosnians outside of wow. Bosnia in St. Louis. So there's 70,000 Bosnians in St. Louis. So Adela, my assistant, and Amra, my personal assistant, are both from Bosnia originally. So we have that covered. And Perfect. Then, yeah, we got, all, we got all kinds of different languages. We have someone from Thailand. That's good. Um, yeah, all yeah. over. It really helps. I mean, obviously, the other day, somebody called and she engaged us. And she speaks English. She's been in Canada for like, I don't know, nine, 10 years. But she wants to talk to me in Chui which is one of the main dialects in Ghana. And I'm like, okay, I understand everything you're saying, but I'm going to respond in English if that's okay, because my twee is not strong. And that was like, she was like happy. So she engaged us for a full big file. Um, I want to ask you about the U.S. in terms of their view of immigrants. Like in Canada, we really, really recognize the importance of immigration because we are an aging population. People are not having enough babies. Employers can't find workers. You know, the whole... COVID, post-COVID world where people just don't want to work. So immigration for us is critical. And we're trying to make changes on a regular basis to attract people. Um, do you think that the U.S. has that same philosophy? And why not? All those same problems that you mentioned, an aging population, a low number of potential workers, um, not to mention the diversity that immigrants bring to a community. Mm. All those things, all those things are true here in America. But the problem is that the megaphone of the hard right crew, the jingoistic, xenophobic, white nationalist types, even if they're white nationalist lights, 
uh, who just control the narrative on immigration. They just, I mean, our country is politically broken uh, because of gerrymandering, because um, the districts are, I think 80% of our districts are, you know, like entirely red or entirely blue. Well, when your districts are entirely red or entirely blue, then the people running those districts don't need to care about the people yeah, in their district. Yeah. There's no reason to compromise. So there's no compromise. So there's nothing being done for immigrants to make their lives easier or more pleasant or, or to, you know, like we have all kinds of people that I know, uh, startup founders who leave yeah. to go to Canada because Canada is so much more receptive to them. And it's really, really dumb. Mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, right now we just launched today, I think it's July 16th, a new H1B um, program to attract H1B visa holders to come to Canada. They don't even need to find an employer. They can get a work permit because we need them. And then they'll start jobs or start businesses. And it's crazy that, you know, these talented people are having to leave the U.S. because of these long, long, you know, green card processing from the countries that they're from. You know, so there's Pakistan or China or India. It's crazy that you would wait eight to 10 years to get your your green card. So in Canada, you can become a permanent resident three years. Yeah. And there's a point system where it's just based on your credentials and that, and that in and of itself is enough. And I mean, we can't over here, we can't argue, we can't figure out whether or not we want spouses of workers to get a work card. I mean, it's it's terrible. It's really hard. So working in this environment, regardless of the party that's in power, I mean, how do you keep positive and optimistic? How do you not get overwhelmed with some of the real sadness or tragedy or just frustration and running a business, as you and I both know, is not an easy thing. How do you keep optimistic about the importance of the work you do? Well, luckily, one of the things about me is I wake up every morning very optimistic. So I right. get a little more pessimistic as the day as goes, the day goes. <laughs> But I, I try to tap into that and keep it alive as long as yeah. I can each day. So I work mm-hmm. out first thing in the morning, and that really helps sort of yeah. shoot me through the day. And so I, I, my wife and I are both pretty optimistic. I mean, good. You know, immigration is hard, especially when you're dealing like with asylum work or refugee mm. work that, you know, um, it's really sad. And like Amani's had some really hard asylum cases. And, you know, some of the employees have talked to us about, hey, look, can we can we get some resources for some of these sad stories that we hear? Yeah. And, and I think that's yeah. something that lawyers and law firm owners really need to think about. Right now, we're looking at the fact that we're probably working our team a bit too hard and we're trying to figure out ways to make staying in the biz a little more attractive. Mm-hmm. I hear you. It's hard. I mean, just the whole operation that you run and that I'm running and learning, constantly learning every day and keeping up with all the changes in the law. So what do you see as the future of immigration law in the United States? I mean, do you see it as continuing to expand? Because I know you have big goals. I have big goals when you run a business. But do you see that immigration law itself is going to be a viable career for somebody 20 years from now? Are they still going to need us? Or is it all going to be AI and we'll be long gone? Both. Oh. AI is going to knock out a lot of bad immigration lawyers. And there's going, to be, there's going to be some, yeah, as it should. There's going to be some people who sort of rise to the top. Um, and also there's, I believe, there's always going to be a need for the what Dean Jackson calls the last five yards, the last part of the transaction, you know, the interview or the prep mm. or the, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years and I talk to immigrants every single day and I'm still surprised at some of the mistakes and ways people, I mean, things happen to immigrants that I never could have dreamt up 
yeah. they find themselves in these situations that I never could have conceived. And so I think there'll always be a need. But I mean, Evelyn, you know, Al Gore said that the federal government was going to be paperless. He said that back in like 1992 yeah. or something. And here we are. You, here we I don't are. know how it is. In Canada, there's still tons and tons of paper files. Yeah, same here. And they're doing more and more portal applications where you can upload things, but there's yeah. still there's still paper options and paper applications. Yeah. So no, this isn't really helpful. So let me just ask you to kind of start to wrap up. What are your ideal, um, oh, sorry, before we do that, what is the common misconception that you hear from immigrants? Um, because I get a lot of these, oh, I heard from my friend, this is what happens. And this is what oh, my brother told me. What is one of the most you know, common misconceptions? Because I find it just hilarious. Well, then maybe you've heard of the magical attorney in California who can get any immigration benefit in three weeks. That is that who you're referring to? Maybe I have one of those in Canada too. Yeah, maybe it's, it's Calgary instead of California. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We really, uh, I mean, immigrants are without a doubt a vulnerable population yeah. for the most part. Yeah. So they're easy to take advantage of, and there's lots of people to your point earlier, that do take advantage of them. There are these, I don't know if you have these things in uh, Canada, but here we call them notarios. These I call them fake lawyers. Yeah, they no. sort of have a website. They say, we fill out forms, but they don't know what the forms mean. They don't know what questions might render somebody inadmissible to the United mm -hmm. States. So um, I think the biggest misconception is that they can do it themselves or if they do it themselves and they, some people say, I'm going to try it myself and then I'll hire a lawyer oh, if I need to. I'll hire a lawyer, clean it up later if if need be. But of course, they can really put themselves in a situation that's going to make them inadmissible that can't be fixed by a yeah, lawyer. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that's the biggest one is you don't need a lawyer to do this. And, you know, I would say back in the day, maybe even when my dad first immigrated to Canada in like 1972 or 73, he didn't need anybody. It was like a few forms and it was done. But it's become so complicated and you're right. When people think I can do it, then they mess up. But then they come. It's harder for us to fix the mistakes. I always say that, you know, what is that stake for you if you don't get this approval or don't get it done properly? So, yeah, I think that's one of the most important things. Um, I just want to wrap up and ask you about who you think are your ideal referrals, because we have lots of people that listen to our podcast. Luckily, not nearly as big as yours. But I want to know so that if people listen to this, they get an idea of who you are interested in working with at Hacking Immigration Law. So mostly it's people who uh, have their immigration cases stuck. Okay. Um, so anyone who has an application that's been pending with USAS for a really long time, I really feel, Evelyn, like um, sometimes I'll, I'll file a lawsuit and, I'll, and because of the lawsuit, the client will get the interview. Then I fly into town, I do the interview, and I sort of feel like a gunslinger from the Old West. Like <laughs> I... I'm making the government do what I want them to do. I mean, a lot of these people come from countries where if you even tried to sue the head of the government, they'd, they'd throw you in jail, right? Mm -hmm. So I love this idea of coming into town, making them do what I want them to do, and then flying back out like like a cowboy. So I love it. Anyone with those kinds of cases, and then just traditional marriage-based mm -hmm. cases, that's really our bread and butter is those kinds of cases. Anyone, you know, we like to work with optimistic people. We like yeah. to work with people who understand our value who aren't yes. just going to nickel and dime us on everything or complain about everything. I had to, I had to tell a client on Friday, I called him up and I said, I'm going to fire you as a client. He said, why? I said, cause you're mean to my staff. Mm -hmm. I said that we were doing everything we're supposed to, and you're being abusive with these yep. emails. And so he begged me not to fire him. So I didn't, but he's on a very short leash. 
Yeah, I do the same. We have to take care of our team. You know, that just happened to me last week too on Fridays. Interesting. Fridays are usually crazy day, I say, here at the office. I find that some things are a little nutty. Anyway, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the Ask Canada Immigration podcast, Jim. I love the podcast, um, the Maximum Lawyer podcast that you and Tyson have been running forever. And then the Guild podcast and um, the whole community you've built has just been so fabulous and supportive of us uh, lawyers trying to run a business and and also grow ourselves personally and professionally. So I want to thank you very, very much for all of that support and for joining us today. Awesome. Thanks so much. I enjoyed I enjoyed being with you. Thank you. Okay. You take good care. Thanks, Evelyn. That's it for the show today. Thank you to everyone who tuned in. Please share this episode and any others you feel that would help someone looking to make that move to Canada or the United States for work or for family. It would be so great if you could also write a review in Apple Podcasts to let others know about our show. Please give us a five-star rating. If you have any questions, please reach us at akalaw.com. That's A-C-K-A-H law.com or call our main office in Calgary at 403-452-9515. Have a great day. Thank you. We look forward to helping you cross borders seamlessly.